Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I'm Mark Anthony, and this is Demolition News Radio, episode 140. In this episode, Raising Expectations. This podcast is sponsored by WillowHire.com, the UK's leader in dust suppression equipment. Kick the dust into touch with our new, bigger and better all-in-one dust suppression units for hire. Call Willow on 01582 840045. Demolition is an industry of borrowers. The industry appropriated explosive technology developed for the quarry industry, developed it, and then made that technology its own. The industry embraced hydraulic excavators from the construction sector, modified and developed them to suit our own purposes. We also embraced hydraulic attachments, modifying and evolving them to suit our own specific purposes before pioneering new methods using them. So is there anything we might learn from the crane sector? Anything that heavy lifting specialists might teach us? Anything that we might apply to make the demolition industry safer or more efficient? To find out, we spoke to Kevin Bedison of SWL Training, And the discussion, particularly the section about ground stability and integrity testing, made for a fascinating chat. But we started by looking back. So, Kevin, there was a time when, I mean, effectively, no self-respecting demolition site would have been without a crawler crane and a wrecking ball. But for some reason, they just fell out of fashion. Was that a shift in in crawler cranes or was that a shift in demolition, do you think? It was kind of a shift in practices, really, Mark. With the, the demolition ball thing, I mean... Of course, that's uh, that's the image that, that many people, I would say, form in their mind when you talk about uh, demolition. But when you look at how that's done, it's not really, uh, I wouldn't say, a healthy way of, of taking it down. A very, very, very good to watch in terms of uh, seeing a wrecking ball hitting a building. But if you think of the impact upon the machine, of course, and you'll understand better than I, in terms of how uncontrolled it is for the building. But if you look at the impact upon the machine, there's a lot of dynamic load in there. And cranes in general, what they're designed to do is raise a load vertically. And so any swinging of anything like that, it's all dynamic loading. And of course, depending on how much you're doing it um, and how fast the acceleration and all the rest of it, it could be quite unknown what sort of force you're applying to the crane. So it's really about the structural capabilities of the machine um, and obviously the problems of the uncontrolled demolition that I would say has taken it away from that sort of practice. And, and I mean, there have been changes in, in crane technology as well. I mean, obviously, we, we refer to wrecking balls, but there used to be the, the use of a drop ball, so literally raise a load, drop it, and then pick it up and drop it again. I, my guess is that a crawler crane today probably wouldn't allow it to drop at the speed that we'd need it to drop anyway, would it? Exactly. Well, there's uh, th- there was a lot of cranes that had the freefall capability in the past, but that has now been removed. Uh, freefall is not something that's generally on modern machines. Um, and again, it's 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 the acceleration factor there as well, and it's more in the the sudden stop. It's the deceleration. So there's a, a negative shock load type of effect going on there, rather than sudden application of load, it's sudden release of load, which has the same effect really as sudden application. Okay, so I, I mean, obviously we've accepted the fact that crawler cranes are a bit of a, a, a thing from a bygone era. In my experience, they, they were replaced largely by high-reach excavators, which we're still using today. And in some ways, I, I guess high-reach excavators kind of emulate what you're using in, in crane technology and the, the fact that they're, they're very high, very tall, um, you know, you need a stable base and that kind of thing. 
do you think there's anything that the demolition fraternity could learn from the crane industry in, in the way that they use, the way that they're set up and maintained, and that kind of thing? There'll be lots of considerations with, with cranes. It depends on, on the training, I would say, Mark. Um, and I don't know what your training processes is, are for the demolition site uh, and how people are developed from you know, a smaller machine up to the high-reach machines. And, you know, whether you're, you've got people who start off on 360 excavators and then move on that way. But, of course, the considerations are really about the higher you go, the more you're taking the centre of the gravity up and the greater chance there is of instability. So, of course, the, the positioning on the ground, uh, the gradient, the ground conditions, they all become more critical the higher you're going. And... A couple of other things as well, really. I'm not sure if, if lightning is really something that's taken into consideration too much with uh, demolition, but you've got a long metallic object in the air, so you've got issues in terms of lightning. Um, and also, one thing as well with the crane industry, and this comes down to training and the development of the personnel operating the machines. Of course, once you get onto a machine which is higher, it becomes uh, trickier to operate in some cases you know um but the movement of the machine it's you've got a long piece of piece of equipment there so you've got to be much steadier with the levers if you get somebody that's used to operating a fairly small machine and they just jump straight in well firstly there's going to be a confidence issue potentially but also just that machine will move quickly uh, up at the top end if you're operating erratically. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly when the, the way that you describe the training, that's exactly what happens. So you, you tend to have the more experienced guys are on the bigger machines. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I, in some ways, that, that in itself throws up an issue because the guys that are operating the really big machines at sort of 60, 70 metres are, I, I wouldn't say they're past it, but they are getting close to the end of their normal working careers. Mm -hmm. and, and it's making that transition, I guess, for the guys behind them, bringing on the younger guys that will then be able to take their place. I mean, that, that's a constant challenge, I guess, throughout the construction industry, that the skill shortage and, and, and the progression of guys, you know? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we, we, we do see that. And, and of course, there are companies within the crane industry, and I'm sure it's the same within the demolition industry, where you see that uh, operators are perhaps being accelerated up through the cranes, maybe unhealthily, and you'd question whether they're ready or not. Um, and that really comes down to, again, shortage. Yeah, you get some long-term operators who have been in the industry for, for many years and then they leave for whatever reason, retire. And, you know, as the construction industry grows, there's more demand. And, yeah, sometimes there are, you know, there's unhealthy acceleration of, of operators. Okay, so going back to the, the, the actual setup of a high-range machine, I mean, we, we've got guidance in the, in the industry for, you know, how far the machine needs to be away from the building being demolished, um, checking for unseen voids and, and that kind of thing. Does the crane sector have anything over and above this? I would assume that uh, you guys do things like CBR tests and such like before you go in there. The, the California Bayern Ratio tests are similar, uh, ground pressure tests. We need to get assurances that the ground is going to be of adequate strength to withstand the loading that's applied to it by the crane. So that isn't always done, which is why the ground failure can be one of the, the biggest causes of cranes overturning. And that I know that with like the piling industry, that was a common problem. They've come on leaps and bounds in the piling industry and checking the ground a lot better as well. And I would assume that the demolition industry is similar. 
But of course, we have, you know, we have mats underneath the crane outriggers as well, foundation bases, which are created by the principal contractor often if you're on a large site. But mats are a, a great way of giving you a temporary support. But of course, you could be working in London, Mark, as you know, and there are some cases where the, the underground system is, you know, literally a metre or so below the ground. Yes, it's about, about talking to uh, local authorities and such like and finding out what's under there as best you can. You know, I, I think, to my mind, well, with in London, I'm not an expert on this by any means, but there are plenty of tunnels that are sort of undisclosed and maybe... Uh, your mainstream people don't really know much about, so it's kind of difficult to detect them. But the only thing that would come down to sort of act of God and may not be picked up is where do you get these sinkholes? And it's very difficult to to sort of plan for those happening. Um, but other than that, then, yeah, the ground conditions it is a major one, and you do need to carry out a, a lot of checks for due diligence to make sure it's going to be good enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess one of the one of the challenges there is the fact that you, Ukraine guys, I mean, obviously are are more allied to the construction end. So by that, by the time you get there, you you have a chance to put in, as you say, mats, foundation bases, and that kind of thing. Whereas the demolition guy, by and large, has to deal with what he what he finds when he turns up on site to a degree. Yeah, there is a bit of that, Mark. But you know, in my experience as a crane operator. Um, I was on a 300-ton machine for a couple of years, 250-ton machine a couple of years, and supervised a lot of lifting operations with 500-ton-plus machines as well. And when you're operating those kind of machines, if you look at, say, on a construction site, you're usually looking, the majority of the work is going to be up, done with like up to, say, around about 100 ton, or then you'll get the occasional lift that requires bigger than that on construction sites. But when you start getting to your bigger machines, a lot of the work is away from the construction site. So, you know, setting up on, on the roads is, that's quite risky as well, because there's a lot of work that you need to put in to actually find out what's underneath there. And it can be difficult to get the answers on that as well. So, yeah, there is a lot of unknowns with the cranes as well, Mark. My, my final question, to a degree, is what about maintenance? I mean, obviously... You know, if you're you're putting 300 tons up in the air, or well, not all 300 tons, but you've got a 300 ton crane with a lot of it in the air, you want to be sure that that machine is is, is in proper working order. Does the crane industry offer operate any sort of specific maintenance schedule, much as they do in maybe the the airline industry, for example? Yeah, there's minimum legal requirement, um, which is set out by Lola 98, the lifting operations and lifting equipment regulations. Um, which, of course, is specific to lifting equipment. And the re there's a regulation in there that states the requirements for what we call thorough examination, which is essentially periodic checks to look for any structural defects or weaknesses in the machine. Also checking the, the, the safety systems are working correctly, functioning correctly. So that is, for any equipment that's not used for lifting people, so if you think of a cherry picker, that, a, a mobile elevated work platform, MUP, that is lifting equipment that's used for people. So anything that's not used for lifting people, Lola states that the minimum requirement is 12 monthly for thorough examinations. If it is used for lifting people, so say if you were using a crane with a personnel carrier suspended from it, um, which is you know a fairly high risk activity anyway, 
that's then the crane would have to be done six monthly as well. Um, and that is just laid out as what is expected as the standard. However, lifting equipment owners do have to have the, the examination scheme in place so that they've got a competent person deciding based on the amount of work that the machines are doing, the type of work. So say if you were doing a lot of work, there was a bit more dynamic loading involved where you were talking about the drop ball and that kind of thing earlier. If there was anything like that material handling, then perhaps you'd be looking at uh, doing thorough examinations more frequently because there's more potential of structural defects. So that is the the requirements with regards to law. And then, of course, there's the uh, standard maintenance procedures, which uh, will be recommend by, recommended by manufacturers. And indeed, in the provision use of work equipment regulations, that states in there about maintenance as well, maintenance requirements for work equipment in general. Is, is there anything that you'd like to add? done quite a few demolition-type jobs with cranes and more controlled than, you know, swinging a ball or, or whatever, anything like that. It's generally where you're lifting sections that are being removed. Now, there's a couple of ways of doing that. If you're able to just lift a piece out of place, you know, and it's just freestanding and you're able to pick it up and just lift it out of the way, um, then that's one thing. And let's say if it was heavier than anticipated, something like that, then not a problem. You're just not going to lift it. But then there are what we call uh, non-returnable loads as well. So essentially, if you think of maybe like a bridge and you were lifting a bridge section out of place, then perhaps you would need to sling it with the crane and then take on the crane what you calculated the weight to be. Then you make the cuts so that now the crane has fully got the load and you can't put it back to where it came from. That is a very high risk activity and there are, you know, there's guidance on how to go about that lift. Of course, you have to calculate fairly reasonably, but you also need to have a factor of safety on the crane to ensure that if the load is slightly different, or indeed in some cases almost drastically different, then the crane is not going to collapse under the, the additional load that's imposed and indeed the shock load. So, yeah, you tend to look at at least whatever you calculate the load weight to be in that case, let's say 10 tonne, then you're looking at having a crane capacity in that position of at least 20, at least two times whatever the calculated weight is. Unfortunately, we hit a technical snag just as Kevin was about to explain where he could be contacted for further information, and that part of the interview just disappeared into the ether. However, you can find out more by visiting swltraining.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and thanks to Kevin once again for helping to make it possible. Thanks for listening. If you're a demolition equipment owner, operator or enthusiast, then there's only one place to be in July next year. The 4th Demo Expo will take place at the Hertfordshire Showground from the 4th till the 6th of July. And it promises to be the biggest demo expo yet. So put those dates in your diary and join us at the Hertfordshire Showground for Demo Expo 2019. It's going to be epic.